Hi everyone. On today's podcast, we have Utah State Offensive Coordinator Mike Sanford. We apologize for the audio. We had some technical difficulties, but we still wanted to get the interview out to you guys before the season started. So we hope you enjoy. From the campus of Utah State University, we bring you the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us, Coach. Yeah, absolutely. Fire to be on. So I just have a couple questions. They're kind of press for time, so I'll, I'll limit it to you know maybe some of the more important ones the fans want to hear, and maybe a couple others that pertain more towards like how you evaluate your offense. But um, I just want to start out with, so like when you're evaluating quarterbacks and you're evaluating that position, you're evaluating what you're looking for in your offense, what's like the one thing that you go to first? Yeah, I think, you know, the number one thing, for, I think, for our quarterback position that we're looking for, like when we're going out and right under right on the recruiting process, obviously we're bringing guys into the program. Um, you know, I think, I think the number one thing I'm looking for is a guy that has great instincts. Um, I think that's something that's not, you know, tangibly evaluated. It, it's kind of an art. You have to spend time, um, you know, just piecing together um, all the different pieces of evidence that you can find, whether it be on game tape, uh, whether it be on their highlight tape, clearly, um, but also being around them, going to their high schools, um, seeing how they, uh, how they practice, um, and just watching, you know, number one, like, what, when do you take off and run the ball? When do you, yeah. uh, when do you throw the ball away? Um, when do you avoid a bad play? Um, because I think that's the most important uh, aspect of quarterback play is just knowing when to make the, the right play at the right time. Um, and then beyond that, I'm looking for the best athlete at the high school. Um, you know, I want somebody who, you know, in their own high school, like everybody knows that's the guy, yeah. that's the dude. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, just in the last recruiting class, you know, I came in late and, you know, a guy that was that is Cooper Lega. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just you ask everybody who's the guy at Orem High School. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Nakua is a really good player up at Washington, um, but you say who's the best athlete at uh, at Orem High School? I mean, you look at you know three-time state champ as a wrestler, yeah. javelin thrower. You know, he's throwing disc at the end, and then you know winning state championship and leading the world in, in total offense. Really, the last couple of years, you know, Cooper was that. And then you know the next piece is obviously when you get them onto your campus. Now you kind of get beyond your high school deals in the rearview yeah. mirror. Now it's it's, it's time different. to see what you're all about. Yeah. And um, and I think for us is, you know, we want to put them in situations in practice where they, they can let their, their instincts show um, or lack thereof show. Um, and then I'm always evaluating, you know, just how dangerous of a player is this quarterback to an opposing defensive coordinator, you know, is it somebody who keeps them up at night because of their physical athletic abilities or their arm talent? Um, you want somebody that's going to keep a defensive coordinator up at night because of what he brings to the table. And so we have to evaluate that um, to put the right guy in the, uh, you know, behind center. And I think we got a pretty good one yeah. uh, playing right now. Yeah. Is that, is that part of what brought you to this job is just seeing what you already had on the roster and seeing what Jordan loves, you know, he already has all these pieces and maybe, you know, just a couple things you can go in and maybe make a little bit more of your style or something like that. It was, um, it didn't start there, but I've learned um, from going obviously a lot of different places and being in, you know, new, new staffs and then also coming into existing situations with, with the staff that was in place, like I did at Notre Dame. Um, 
you know, I, I did learn, you know, the hard way, quite frankly, that you gotta you gotta evaluate what's 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 there on the roster. Um, so I poured through it pretty good. Um, I really did, and uh, I haven't done that in every job that I've taken. Um, and, uh, and that's a that's a tough thing to, to deal with. If uh, you know, this is a player. Uh, it's a player sport. You know, coaches certainly have a huge role in scheme. Um, but if 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 you don't have the right players to, to fit your systems or if you just don't have players that are going to strike any fear into opposing defenses yeah. you know it's it's tough man it's an uphill battle and uh you know you like to think as a coach and quite frankly as a young coach I thought you know I have all the answers I can turn you know uh, lower level talent into uh you know championship football teams I mean that's that's a that's not realistic um you need time to to build that and uh what I liked about what was in place here was it started with a quarterback um, you know, with Jordan being here and having two years of eligibility remaining when I got here. Um, and then I, you know, I, also, I looked at um, just what kind of skill players they had around them and uh, knowing that G. Bright was coming back, um, knowing that Savon Scarver was somebody that you could utilize in the offensive side of the ball that was, was very dynamic and very, you know, struck fear into special teams coordinators uh, <laughs> around the For country. Sure. But I don't know. I think that that was big, man. And then, and then the other thing too, man, the most important reason is that, you know, I, I, I made a transition from being in charge of a program to being a lieutenant, you know, an assistant. Um, and, and I wanted to do that because that's a tough transition. I wanted yeah. to do that for somebody that I could trust, uh, that I had personal experience with um, through my dad, um, you know, having been at Utah State and having been at Utah both times with Coach A. Um, and, and that was a big part of it because that affects your family. Yeah. You know, if you work for somebody who um, doesn't respect your, you know, your role as a dad, it doesn't respect your role as a, as a husband, that's tough, man. I mean, that's important to me. And, uh, and I knew that was going to all be in place with uh, working for a guy that really values all those things. As far as, you know, you know, you look through the roster and you see what you have with Jordan Love. Since you've been on, you know, on campus and with this team, like what have you seen out of Jordan Love? Granted, it's spring ball, summer workouts, thing like that, you know, just before fall. Like what have you seen out of him so far? Has anything encouraged you or kind of fulfilled your expectations or exceeded it? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I've seen is that he's just himself. Like I think when you're all of a sudden thrust into this role of nobody really knew who Jordan Love was, yeah. certainly nationally, a year ago at this time. Nobody did. I mean, barely uh, – Cash Valley barely knew who Jordan yeah. Love was, yeah. right? Um, Be honest. You know, yeah. <laughs> so you fast forward just 365 days, and now he's a guy that, it, you know, everybody knows. He goes yeah. to the Manning Passing Academy, and, you know, all the reports I got back from, you know, from my, my contacts, Archie Manning and, and guys that, um, that were there, he's at, at or near yeah. the top of that group, period. Uh, and that's every single elite quarterback in the country at yeah. all different ages. Um, and uh, I think the thing that impressed me the most about him is with all that, He's just himself. He didn't feel like he didn't feel the need to go all of a sudden be this rah rah guy, turn into Tim Tim Tebow and have right. you know his his speeches emblazoned on a statue in front of the stadium. That's not who Jordan is. But Jordan is going to be out there. Yesterday, you're three days from camp starting, and he's got six guys that are here. We don't, we're not even in our off season program. We gave him six seven days off. Jordan's out there. Uh, I just. You know, I just stumbled upon him having a throwing with a throwing session. I had no idea he'd be out there. Heck, I thought he was out of town, and here he is out there. You know, organizing. Uh, you know, a throwing session. Yeah. And 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 it was an hour and ten minutes. I mean, they, they were out there getting it in. Um, that's the kind of stuff to me. Um, there's an old saying: is is catch somebody doing something good. Yeah. You know, and 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 a lot of times we're always looking for somebody to be. 
you know, screwing something up or catch them slipping or catch them stealing something. That's pretty cool when you can catch somebody like Jordan Love doing something really, really special. And that's, you know, throwing when we had zero expectations for him or any of the receivers or tight ends or running backs to be out there throwing. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, Jordan Love, you want him to strike fear in defensive coordinators when they're evaluating tape. I'm curious, as an offensive coordinator, is there a certain position or a certain, like, style that you see when you watch on film, you're like, this is going to be tough to plan against? Defensive end. If you got an elite pass-rushing defensive end, that, that scares you to death. And that, that, that continues to be the position, man. I mean, yeah. it's just like, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, that's, a, that's a big one. And, and you have to change your game plan based off of that guy's ability to get home because it's going to be a lot of one-on-one matchups. Yeah. When you're dealing with a defensive end, there's not a lot of ways that you can get a guard outside in the C-gap outside of the tackle. You can use your running back. But then you're losing somebody that could be out in routes as well, right? And yeah. uh, and oftentimes when you use the running back, it's right at the lap of the quarterback, you know. And so he does he his timing's a little bit off, um, you know. I think elite corners you can throw away from, um, yeah. or challenge them and say, "Are you that good?" Uh, which is kind of fun, yeah. I think. Um, worst thing could happen typically is an yeah. incomplete pass, right? Yeah. Um, with a defensive end that's elite. Uh, the worst thing that could happen is sack, fumble, touchdown. And I've seen that happen, and yeah, it's yeah. not fun. Um, and we had a couple of those guys actually in the in uh, Conference USA that are NFL-type guys that <laughs> they, they were a problem. So, go ahead. Well, I guess kind of on that note, so one of the questions, I think, biggest question for this, this team in the offseason, obviously a lot of talent lost. Um, offensive line is a huge thing. You lost four starters. You walk in, you got one starter returning, so at least there's not nothing there. So, like, what have you seen in this offensive line so far? Like you were encouraged by, you know, who's returning, uh, and your ability to put together good offensive lines. So you're not troubled by as much by you know good defensive. Yeah, ends. you know, first off, I just like the I like the group of kids that play offensive line, uh, young men, you know, that that are out there battling. They're 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 athletic. Um, they're they love to work, uh, and and I was really excited when Coach Woods and I we saw the numbers. Uh, returning starts, we saw the, you know, the amount of freshmen and sophomores that we we're most likely going to have to depend upon. Yeah. Um, but I was really encouraged when we actually had a chance to watch them work out, and then very encouraged when I saw their process of getting, uh, getting baptized under fire during spring ball. All of a sudden, you're a guy that you know was not even a thought to start, and now you're the starting left or right tackle like Andy Koch. Yeah. And you see how he grew and responded. You see Carter Shaw who was not even on scholarship uh, you know, last year at this time. And you see his growth in the weight room. You see his growth on the field. Um, you see a guy like Hannah Lee um, Avendano that, that's playing center for us and, and will compete at center. Uh, but you see his confidence start to come about. But, but the thing that, that stuck out to me with those guys was just that, that they have a spirit of, of nastiness to them. Um, they love to be around each other. Uh, they're the kind of offensive line that I think is going to be really exciting to be around, and I honestly can't wait to be around them for three, four years, um, because that, you know, when you can have a group go through it together as freshmen and sophomores, and then mature together. I mean, our returning starter, Alfred Edwards, is he's a young guy. Yeah. You know, he's not old. Yeah. Um, and so you can you can see the beginnings not only of this group in spring ball, but the beginnings of an elite offensive line group for the for three, four years to come. I've always wondered, is that, is that fun as a coach? Or is that something you take pride in? You may come into a program that might not have like the top-level recruits or maybe have a lot of young guys, but you just see what you see on the yeah. team, and you're like, I can make something out of this. Yeah. 
and, that, and that's that's the vision. I mean, you, you guys hear Coach Coach A said this for for decades, man. Is is that you know Utah State is a developmental program, yeah. um, and and what you mean by that is not just like oh, what, what, you're, you're taking players that didn't get offered, quite frankly, by the Pac-12 schools, and you're hoping to turn that talent into talent that's better than yeah. the Pac-12 teams and, and that's that's a fun thing to be about I mean look at our quarterback I mean yeah. how many Pac-12 teams would right. die to have Jordan Bakersfield center right in the right in the hotbed no question yeah. 100, 173 dripping pounds what yeah. man I mean that's that's what Jordan Love was yeah. and uh, you know I can't take credit for that that's Jordan's work that's the you know the previous staff and then obviously we want to take where he's at as a really good Mountain West player and hopefully make him into a nationally elite player yeah. so as far as like coming in and building like a lot of fans are obviously curious. You have last year's kind of style of offense, very fast-paced, extremely fast-paced. Like, what are you kind of looking for as far as an offensive style that you want to try and establish? Yeah, I want to. I want to take what they were really good at last year and make it better. Um, and so that's that was important to me. That's another lesson I learned um, when you come in and follow success uh, offensively, and you actually lose personnel. Probably the last thing that you want to do is uh, is create even more indecision because there's inexperience and bring a completely do new offensive system mm-hmm. um, because it takes a year or two to really get the offense in place that you need to get in place. And you know, I went through a, a similar experience with this at, at Boise State when I went and took over as the offensive coordinator. You know, it was a new head coach, but it was Brian Harson who had been in the system with Chris Peterson, mm-hmm. which is the same system I played in. So I didn't bring Stanford's offense to Boise State and say, this is my offense. I said, no, this is Boise State's offense, and I'm going to take, hopefully take what, what they have in place, utilize great assets around you and your coaching staff, and take ideas from every individual guy around the room. But most importantly, make it about the players, not about me. Um, and that's what we're doing here is we want to take what they did last year, not overly complicate what they do, add some wrinkles. We, we, we know that we are playing a much, di- much different schedule this year. Um, so we can't just expect to roll out the exact same scheme in every facet with no new wrinkles and have the same type of success that they had a year ago. We've got we to gotta add something and keep it, keep it moving in the right direction. So I know you pride yourself on wanting to have the best QB room in the nation. Um, would you say that's the strongest group on your offense, or would you say – uh, there's another group that you look at right now and you say that that, that was really special right there. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is, you know, in terms of the quarterback room, I mean, I, 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 love, I love coaching all, every single guy in the room, whether he's a walk-on, you know, from, you know, from, from Preston, Idaho, or if he's a, a national recruit from, you know, from Modern Day High School, whatever it may be. I, I want to coach that kid from Preston, Idaho, the same that I do the kid from Modern Day. Um, and I want to see you know, their, their game elevate to, to help the next guy that's above them elevate and, and that thing continue to grow. Um, as, as it relates to our, our team, um, I mean, I think we have a lot of really good position groups. And, um, and, and, and I, you know, competitively, you always want your, 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 your group to be a strong part of the offense. Um, but ultimately, I want our, our quarterback room, I want to have three starting quarterbacks yeah. ready to play. Um, that's one of our, our uh, objectives going into fall camp is I want – Andrew Peasley, Henry Columbia, and Jordan Love. I want those three guys to be ready to go win games at a championship level for the Aggies. And uh, and then I want to see Cooper Lagaw and Josh Calvin come about too. You know, so um, I, I think that that's a big thing for us is just that the whole team knows that in the crazy event that Jordan loves shoelace busts, yeah, uh, and we we don't have a, 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 a cleat that can go on to Jordan Love's shoe. That Henry Columbia or Andrew Andrew Peasley can go out and win a championship for yeah. him, and that's what camp's going to be about. 
So I guess the next question would be then, what are some of the, uh, the other objectives that you have for this offense coming into the year? Yeah, I think I think a big thing, I, I want to be a 65% or greater completion outfit, um, which is not just the quarterback. That's, that's, that's the O-line and the protection. That's obviously uh, receivers, tight ends, running backs, and what their roles are in the pass game. Um, we want to be uh, above a 60% efficiency rating um, on each play that we run. So what that means really is that we want to get four yards or more. Because when you're playing with pace and you're playing with tempo, you need that first first down. Um, and when it goes, when we go back and look at it after every game, um, a big objective for us is that we want uh, on 70 percent of the drives that we had, we wanted to get the first first down. Right now, like you don't, you know, it sounds like oh three three and outs that sucks, yeah. but you, you'll be at or near the top of the national average if you're averaging 70 percent or greater um, to get the first first down in a series, and that allows us to get into our our rhythm of playing with great tempo. But it puts great onus on us as coaches to prepare for those series openers, those first two, three plays, to make sure that you're putting yourself in position to get those uh, those first first down situations. Is that something that you usually have completely scripted? Do you see something after maybe the first drive and you say you gotta, might need to change one thing or the other? It's, it's a combination. Yeah. Um, I've done both throughout the course of my career, like at Stanford. When Jim Harbaugh was there, um, you know, a lot of people have a, a opening 10 plays. Yeah. Uh, and they call it your first 10. Or, yeah. you know, uh, I think Chris Peterson had his dirty dozen. Um, Jim Harbaugh had his, he, he called it his openers, but there were 38 plays on one, one week, um, which is at the t- tempo of offense yeah. we played at Stanford. Yeah. That was about the whole game. Yeah. They're all you power know? plays. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're winding the clock down to point oh 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 oh. you know, uh, every snap. So it was pretty funny. I mean, he would call it almost off that until he got to third and long, you know. Um, so I, I like to have a mixture of both. Um, I think as a coach, if you make it too much about yourself uh, and making like significant adjustments, I think sometimes it, it, it doesn't allow players to work through what the game plan was. Mm. So I think it's, it's important to, to have a plan going in and practice that plan and then let your players work yeah. through it. Get in some kind of a rhythm. Yeah, I mean, just, just to wholesale change something yeah. or, or like, oh, man, we're getting blitzed, you know, 75% of the time now. We got we to gotta, we gotta completely abandon what we did. I think there's we have answers in our system for pressure, for not pressure, for cover two, for cover three. Um, we just got to get let our quarterback and our, and our offensive players kind of work through those, those, uh, those early game type things. So kind of on that note, like – Obviously, Jordan Love kind of is a young quarterback, freshman and sophomore. When he's at the line, he's maybe not making as many reads. Like you do the, the hard count, he looks over to the sideline, and the coaches kind of make the call. Like, where's kind of the growth for him? Does he kind of, you know, step into a role where he's making a lot of these, you know, pre-snap reads and kind of making decisions on his own, where you're, you're letting him, you know, see what he sees and try and make a playoff? Thing? Yeah, I think it's a, it's it's another. I think that's a big part of what makes Jordan special. I think when um, when when the National Football League comes knocking at his door hopefully two years from now um, <laughs> that uh, I think they're going to be very impressed with what he's capable of seeing and executing you know before the snap and that's a big thing that's hard to do there's a lot of quarterbacks some of the best ones that I've been around will tell you just coaches tell me what to do I'll go execute it mm. Jordan's one that can handle you know kind of some bandwidth at, at the line of scrimmage himself and to be able to to, to operate uh, schemes that he to his liking um, which is which is pretty different, pretty unique, and I, I think it gives him uh, and our quarterbacks, not just him. I mean, yeah. Andrew Peasley, uh, Henry Columbia's outstanding yeah. at the line of scrimmage. I mean, these guys are they they they're, they have fun with it. They don't they don't panic. They don't freak out. They're not sitting there bogged down. They actually have fun with it and take a lot of pride in 
and making sure that, that when we give them those opportunities to make decisions that they, they, they will make it work. Um, whether they called the right one or not, they're going to go be instinctive. And now the defense changed their structure, you know, after they called something. Now they're going to go make a play, you know, with a with a broken down mm. type of a situation. So you've coached some pretty good quarterbacks in day, obviously. You know, Andrew Luck, Sean Kaiser, Mike White. Um, is there anything you see from Jordan Love that might compare to those guys that you say like he might have that NFL potential as well? You know, we're just talking about the pre-snap reads. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's got um, he's got the size, um, he's got the athleticism, and uh, and I think he also has just the overall arm talent. Um, Honestly, right at the top of that group, yeah, and uh, and that's a good group. I mean, it's it's a pretty good group. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. some NFL stars. I, I was even looking. I was the uh, I was at Stanford when Kevin Hogan. Yeah. Um, you know, when he was playing, and yeah. I just saw he's the he's a backup at Denver now. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to have somebody with starting NFL experience, and not many people think of Kevin Hogan as an NFL starter, but he he's started some games. Yeah. And uh, and and I'd say the one thing all those guys had in common um, was they had one aspect of their game. That, that struck fear into the defensive coordinator's heart and mind and everything. And, and, and Andrew Luck, it was his brain, his, it really is power. Like he has a lot of, he plays powerfully as a yeah. runner, as a passer. Um, you know, you look at Deshaun Kaiser, a, I think it, it, he was probably as intellectual and at the line of scrimmage was very, very, I mean, unbelievable mm-hmm. making decisions. And then athleticism. Um, Mike White was arm talent. Mm. You know, I mean, he didn't have the uh, the ability to get you out of a bad play athletically like some of the other guys did, but his arm talent was was elite. Mm. Um, what I like about Jordan Love is, honestly, I think he's elite in all three areas, <laughs> intellectually, um, throwing the football in his arm talent, and then athletically. Um, and that's a real rare gift, you know, combine that with 6'4", 226. Yeah. Um, he's a pretty special kid. Now, you know, we don't want to obviously put the cart before the horse, but – um, with this kid, you know, everybody talks, we talking him up too much. He doesn't pay attention to any of this stuff. He's not listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's going to go out and do his thing, and we're going to go out in our, in our offensive staff room, in our quarterback room, and we're going to prepare to try to win every game that we can. Um, and when, you know, when adversity strikes, we're going to go back to the drawing board and keep working. And, uh, and that's who Jordan is, and that's who this quarterback room is. We're not going to get ahead of ourselves. I promise you that. Well, I know fans are going to be excited to see it and appreciate you coming on the podcast again. We're excited. Mm-hmm. Excited for this yeah. year. Yeah, excited. To, and, and honestly, I mean, I think about it like if you live in Cache Valley, and this valley is not small. No. You know, I used to think it was small because 20 years ago it was. Yeah. Uh, there's 120-some-odd thousand people here in the valley. You know, come and have an opportunity to watch this kid play. He's, he's that special. Um, and if, it, you know, I think it should be the hottest ticket in the state of Utah, to be honest. Be yeah. uh, as nice a stadium as we got. Um, Tipa Nalia being, I think, one of those defensive ends that I was talking about earlier. Um, you know, you're looking at some guys that I think are going to be difference makers at the next level. Um, you know, why not have a chance to see them on the on the ground floor? So get get your get your butts out here yeah. and watch these watch these Aggies play this year. Awesome, can't wait. Thanks, yeah, coach. Appreciate, appreciate you guys. It. Hey guys, quick break. But the second half of the podcast will be just Jason and I talking about um, what happened at Mountain West Media Days and some just general themes playing out throughout the rest of the season. We don't really have a script for this, so we kind of just talking, uh, but we still hope you enjoy it. All right, welcome back to the Statesman Sports Desk podcast. Um, again, I am Dalton Renshaw, and I'm here with Jason Walker. And for this portion of the podcast, we're just going to do a little bit and um, talk about what happened at Mountain West Media Days. Some key things happened in regards to Utah State. Got a lot of praise, got a lot of hype from the media. 
um, and kind of just dive into maybe some things they'll see throughout the season. So let's just get started, Jason. Um, they were picked to finish second in the conference, um, right behind Boise in, State. In or excuse me, in the division, you're right. Um, behind Boise State. Uh, what are your thoughts on that just generally? Well, the thing that stuck out to me is that Utah State got the five first place votes. Granted, I've lost all my confidence in the Mountain West media voters ever since David Woodward wasn't the defensive player. How does that happen? And, and they also, well, I guess it was more so he wasn't first team Mountain West, right. I should say. The defensive player of the year, fine, whatever. But the fact that he wasn't first team, I think that's, I don't know if I'll ever get over that. Yeah, that seems like a, a jarring thing to leave out. Yeah, it was depressingly awful for how good he was and is and that he didn't get a first team nod. Yeah. Oh, well, one thing that was funny, I was looking through the... Uh, the media guide for football, so we get off on a tangent here, <laughs> they list their All-Americans, first-team mm-hmm. All-Americans, and the media guide put David Woodward really on there. And they have then like they have kind of a graphic with it on there, and then they have a, a more detailed list, and they list it as PFF, mm. as kind of off to the side where they have mm-hmm. you know, others, like AP or something like that, so that they took it seriously. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was hilarious was there was this one ath- an article by The Athletic where they were talking about David Woodward, and they just straight up called him the Defensive Player of the Year. Really? Which was just the it was an awesome moment for me because I'm just like, screw you, Mountain <laughs> West media voters, that somebody just didn't just didn't qualify it by saying pro football focus like I do in pretty much all the articles where I've brought it up. Right. They just said Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year. Interesting. And I was like, heck yeah. Well, I mean, like he deserves the recognition, whether you know whoever it comes from, the what publication. I mean, like he. No, no slight to uh, the winner of the Mountain West Player of the Year last year, but like he yeah, definitely I, I deserved it. I don't even it. know who won. But it. I was just, I was just looking at it was Jeff Allison, I believe it was, the linebacker for uh, for Fresno State. But um, I mean, and I guess you can't really fault somebody for voting for somebody on the Fresno State team last year because they they were dominant on defense. But yeah, and obviously, I'm sure that that gentleman is a very, very good football player, <laughs> right? And probably comparable to David Woodward in overall talent. I'm, there's plenty of deserving players, usually, you know, two or three of those kind of awards every year. I mean, Jordan Love was a really good offensive player, and he didn't win. He, he didn't win the offensive player of the year. Was, no. It was Rippon, wasn't it? Yeah. And Rippon, obviously. Deservedly so. Yeah. So, obviously, as far as those, but it was the first team, All Mountain West, that really got under my skin. Yeah. I think they had, like, the two inside linebacks. I think it was a Boise State kid that made it on. Well, and I know it's definitely – People have realized the mistake of that last year, and basically everyone that I've seen has put him on the first team preseason at least. Yeah. Um. So and kind of to go along with that, um, Jordan Love also at media days was announced that he was uh, the preseason offensive player of the year. Um. What do you think is actually behind that? Like, do you think there's any merit necessarily behind that, or would you like to see you know the season progress a little bit before you kind of cement him as the offensive player of the year? I guess the question is, how much do the preseason things really matter in your in your opinion? They're nice for the fans. Mm-hmm. They mean diddly jack to sure to anything else. Uh, the coaches usually try to actively suppress. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase that. Ignore is probably a better word. Right. They try and ignore it, and I think you know Jordan Love is ignoring it. Mm. Just kind of who he is. He's not. Uh, 
he's you know not, not into, flashy or really anything. Yeah, he's he's very much laid back, which yeah, you know, it's just his personality, and it probably benefits him. Yeah. Well, we talked about that with uh, you'll hear earlier in this podcast with uh, Coach Sanford. He was saying like you know even all the hype that he's gotten throughout the season, it's been basically just shows up to training, shows up to practice, and it's just just all about his business. Yeah, and so that that's good for him, obviously. And I think you know when he looks back on his career, obviously he'll appreciate some of these things more so if he gets the end of season awards then I don't think you get nothing other than maybe a nice little certificate saying you were a preseason offensive player of the right. year. But it's it's nice to see the hype, and that's really just the best way to put it. It's nice to see the hype. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure, like you say, for fans, it's 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 nice to see at least these players being recognized. Yeah. And that's, something I, that's one of the main things I've written about, like this whole offseason is – just that it's nice to see the hype. You have, right. you know, early on, you know, Athlon released its first team all Mountain West and Utah State was all over it. And, you know, Phil Steele. And then here at Mountain West Media Days, they have the have the uh, all-conference. You know, Jordan Love obviously made first team. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he was the only offensive player, or at least player to receive it for offense. Stavon Scarver, obviously a wide receiver, but he was a special team selection. Right. Um, probably the most obvious. Basically, just like yeah. you probably only have like one option, save on Scarver or maybe another one, somebody else. I mean, even nationally, I was looking back at it last year, and he was just heads above everybody else that even compared in the return game. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if he can. Uh, he's within very much reaching distance of some uh, kick return records, career records. Yeah, um, he's one behind for the touchdown. It's like if he gets one more return touchdown, he'll tie the record at four. I think. Yeah, he's at three. Yeah, and the record's for by uh, Kevin Robinson, I think was his name, who also I believe the same Robinson owns the career return average, which is mm. difficult because Scarver's got to overcome a fairly mediocre um, first year as yeah. far as his career average. Uh, if he were to have some like this last year, this upcoming year, I think he'd come close. But he's also got another. I was year. gonna say you would think somebody like Scarver, who doesn't necessarily excel in like the receiving game, would probably stick around for a season se- senior season too. Yeah. So I think he'll be here. So the thing is, he may not break the career record now because, again, kick return heart touchdowns are hard to come by. Yeah. I mean, he's had all of three, and he's a consensus All-American yeah. kick returner. And so he has to get two to break the record. I think he'll get at least one just if he's still yeah. that good. If I mean, he gets a chance, I mean, he's dynamic enough to, like, you would think it's going to yeah. be possible. And the problem is that he's just – just the way the modern game is – kick returns are going by the wayside yeah so i mean kerwin williams one thing i found out is that he owns like the record for all purpose yards but he had like some insane number of kick return yards mm-hmm. one year because he had like 50 of them yeah that was a decent enough kick return in his own right yeah so 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 that's, it's hard to break that kind of record just because it's it's a different game now the powers that be and collegiate and professional football are actively trying to suppress the kick return. That's, that's the accurate place to use that term. Yeah. Is they're trying to get rid of the kick return itself. Yeah. Without actually getting rid of it because of stubborn people like me who always wanted to be there, <laughs> even though. Yeah. I mean, you could obviously see the positives, you know, it's, it's a dangerous play. A lot of the injuries come off of kick returns, but it, it is kind of weird to see that maybe if that was completely taken away from the game. But I think that was something they did briefly in the time where the, uh, um, AAF was around. They just started out at, I think the 20 or the 25 yard line, every single possession. <laughs> yeah. Some of that effect. I didn't, I didn't actually watch any. Yeah. AAF. Well, it folded. So I don't know if many people did. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. I, know, I think they weren't doing too bad. They just sucked financially. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I guess going back to we'll go back to actual football or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> collegiate football yeah. instead of failed pros. <laughs> so while on offense, Utah State didn't get much love because uh, no, that was no pun nice pun. There. Nice, I wasn't trying. Nice. That. It's too easy to make those. It is. It is too easy. Um. So, but on defense, you had three, which is really good. Yeah. Um. More than anybody else, I don't know if I think maybe one or. Was there like one team that had two, like Fresno State maybe? maybe mm-hmm. Boise well, Boise State State's got, uh looks like two from Boise State. <clears throat> so, you know, Utah State obviously really going to town with these first-team defensive selections. So, DJ Williams, um, and then David Woodward, obviously. Yeah. And then Thibaut Nallier. So, three really good players. And, I mean, again, that star-studded front seven, you know, spectacular pass rush. Yeah. I know Mike Sanford had a lot of good things to say about Nallier. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we've already gushed about David Woodward. Yeah. And then DJ Williams, I think he kind of gets a little forgotten in the fray, especially considering this secondary is, you know, I said a few it's, podcasts it's a, ago that it's, it's a little slim. Yeah, it's, it's got some holes in it. DJ Williams is not one of those holes. Right. Not by He's filling in some of that empty space. Yeah. It's gonna well, because be of the top-level talent that they have on the roster, I mean, it's, it's, it's as good as any in the conference, yeah. but it's just that depth, right? Yeah, and that's the, the one of the probably bigger concerns about this is yeah exactly the depth because you look at on offense they have the best quarterback in the conference yeah they have the best linebacker in the conference in my opinion they have arguably the best edge rusher in my opinion mm-hmm. or at least in contention with Nollier one of the best cornerbacks in the yeah. conference like you're going down five positions you know they have the best kick returner in the conference yeah yeah so that's that's five solid positions where you can have an argument that you have the best player in several of them where it's not even a contention yeah what about everywhere else? Yeah. Because, you know, Gerald Bright, I'm not as high on him as some other people, but I think they've got some pieces of running back. But Yeah, the, the group as a whole is probably pretty yeah. solid. The offensive line is a question mark. I don't know if it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mike Sanford seems confident about that. Yeah. Which, Grant, I don't know if he would ever say anything negative, but... Yeah. Also, I mean, yeah, it really is just all up to, like, we'll look at the first couple games and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But uh, although I'm, I'm a lot more confident in the wide receivers than I think a lot of people are, mm-hmm. I'm very content in what we'll have as far as pass catching ability. Yeah. But again, my, my concern is the offensive line. Cause I'm always obsessed with how good the offensive yeah. line is because I mean, it carries a team. It really does. Yeah. It, you look, go to the pros, you look at Tom Brady. Yeah. He's had one of the best offensive line coaches helping his, you know, big hogs up front. Yeah. So it's. Well, and I think you kind of look at like, just to look at the conference as a whole real quick. Um, some of the talent across the whole conference is, I don't know about compared to years past, but and just in my opinion, looking at it, there's there's a ton of top level com- to- excuse me talent across the whole conference. Um, and like you look at the defensive side of the ball, like we're saying with Utah State having three of the the eleven starters on the all conference team, um, but you go down the list and look at the rest of the guys, like Utah State has some guys on their team, but it's hard to fight out for any of these guys to take their place. As far as like, as far as like the the who they might be replacing in this, you know, uh, in the all conference team. Well, you but, like the other guys besides right, Robert yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> like the rest of the team is just, I mean, Macau Walker is just ridiculous. Uh, Juju Hughes ridiculous. All of them are you know NFL level talents. Yeah, so the obviously Utah State is probably going to max out at five first team. That's if everyone performs at the high level we'd hope they will. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you got a guy like Christopher Unga. Um, sure. Defensive tackle, uh, 
you know lead that defensive line. It's if you have good depth because that's that's the thing is it's you know you have teams that are star studded, but the best ones have depth. Because mm-hmm. you look at the Patriots last year, I, I always go back to the Patriots because it's a team that I follow and they're one of the best. Yeah, so they're, we they're know easy to, Jason. They're easy to draw on as an example of success, and I'll compare them to uh, your team, the Steelers. Yeah, Steelers had a lot more star power than the Patriots, at least when you know they had Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and all that. You know, as far as stars, like the Patriots had Tom Brady and sometimes a healthy Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, Steelers far and away better star talent. The Patriots had a little more depth. They had some better coaching, you know, better things like that, and so they had a lot more success. And that was kind of like Utah State last year. The most exploitable thing about last year's team was their secondary. And even that wasn't that bad. It got worse mostly due to injuries late last year. So the question is, can Utah State replicate that? They have the stars, which might carry them in a couple of games. But the thing that will make them a Mountain West contender is, can they replace that depth that they lost so mm-hmm. much of? Well, and, and a position that we started talking about um, to kind of start off this conversation of of defensive back, um, Right now, while we're talking, it hasn't been confirmed or anything, but some of the reports have been that Jamarcus Ingram might be transferring as well. So, I mean, that if that happens, that is a huge loss to go go along with, you know, what kind of little depth you have at the position right now. Yeah, because that's, that's experience, that's depth. And, I mean, so now that leaves was it Cameron Haney, I think, is probably the only yeah. other, like, in Shaq Bonds. You have – Yeah. It, before, you had at least a starting secondary mm-hmm. as far as, you know, a pair of – defensive backs and a pair of safeties now you've got three-fourths of one and usually you're able to fill in pretty well with your junior college transfers yeah. and your freshmen but you like to have something coming back sure. and now it's like all right well who's gonna i think they have the rumors are that another safety's transferring i think mm. um, yeah yeah I, well as as it as it appears right now um baron goshkowski's not on the roster anymore so yeah. that that could be a hindrance as well yeah, so just every bit of experience and depth you lose is, you know, it's not a it's not a death toll, but yeah. It's something you have to worry yeah. about. And maybe they're going to they're going to have a freshman come in here right. and he's the next Darrell Rivas or insert great cornerback right. here. Well, they have they have two two at least really promising based on their resumes coming from junior college uh, transfers at safety. So and I mean, it happened last year with DJ Williams. You never know; it could be, you know, somebody slots in and has an impact immediately. But I guess it's similar to the offensive line. We'll just have to kind of wait and see how it shakes out through the first couple games. Yeah, and that's the most frustrating thing is it is just a it's a wait and see because yeah, we can talk about how good we think they are, and we can talk to the coaches, and and they'll generally be confident in their guys because they see them in spring ball and fall camp. And but when the lights are on and it's seven p.m. and yeah. a you know in a fall night. Who knows? Think things are different. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see how the, the defensive backs and the offensive line work out because I'm generally confident about just about everything else. But mm-hmm. Those can be two very important yeah. positions. You know, defensive backs in such a pass-oriented uh, yeah. game these days and then offensive line because literally everything on your offense revolves around your offensive line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, let's switch it up real quick and just talk about one other thing that happened um, at Mountain West Media Days. It was announced... Um, the new bowl partnerships for um, through 2026 uh, for the Mountain West and um, a couple upgrades, uh, a couple familiar faces with, you know, the, f- the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, um, the Nova Home Loans Bowl, something they've participated in the past. Um, 
But one thing that I think most people who follow Mountain West are really interested in is the new tie-in with the Pac-12 and being able to play at that new stadium that's going to be built in Los Angeles. It should be done. I think I think it should be done in 2020. I think are the expectations. But um, yeah, I I think that's obviously huge to have a tie-in with a Power Five conference. Yeah. Well, they had it with the uh, Vegas Bowl. Right. Where they were playing like the fifth place Pac-12 team. I don't know exactly where that slot was. Right. I don't, I'm, I don't read as much into these bowl games as other people do. Um, maybe I should. I think it may be another one of those things where it's like, it's it's really interesting for the fans to be able yeah. to like, we can at least look forward to if we do well, we'll be playing a Pac-12 team at the end of the year. Yeah. It's a lot better than, you know, playing some, you know, Conference USA or Sunbelt team. Yeah, it's know. better than going to New Mexico maybe. Yeah. So... It's something that I can look at and I can say that's neat. That's that's good. It's it's nice to and especially playing tougher competition because that's the biggest key is playing tougher competition. Cause right. Because play, playing North Texas, um, it wasn't a bad team, but yeah, they're not a bad team. But that's not you know with bowl games, one of the things you're trying to do is build brand recognition there exactly. because at that point your season's over, uh, nothing really matters, and it's just about looking good. Right. Which Utah State did last year. Right. And it didn't matter that there were some other factors in that game when people saw Utah State play North Texas and eleven and you know, North Texas like ten and three or something like that. Yeah. Or ten and two or whatever. Yeah. And they saw Utah State beat them by forty points. So you know, some nice brand recognition there, but then again, they're playing North Texas. If you do it against I don't know, Cal or yeah. whoever in the in the Pac twelve happens to be Maybe we get a rematch of some of those Utah State Utah games. That yeah, that that'd be nice. It'd be nice to see if Utah have to play Utah State <laughs> right. and then get their butts kicked or or just lose. I don't know. Probably I don't think Utah State could uh, kick Utah's butt. It's probably been a long time since that's happened. Because the last few times Utah State has won, it's been a yeah. close game. Yeah. But it'd be nice to see. It would be yeah. It'd be nice to at least get the opportunity, right? Yeah. It's kind of looking BYU ended up playing Utah that one year when the rivalry was off, mm-hmm. which was that was cool to see. But what a weird game that was! Just to talk about that for a second, um, thirty-five last, last year of the Vegas Bowl. One. I'm, I'm talking about the one from three years ago. I think it was. Um, it was. Let me get the exact date, but it was. It was BYU Utah in the I believe it was the Vegas Bowl, and Utah came out and scored thirty-five points in the first quarter. And then I think BYU got all the way within a touchdown by the end of the game, and Utah held on 35 to, like, 28, I think yeah. it was. It was almost like last year, except BYU ended up dropping it. They went up, like, 28 right. or something to, like, zero, and then yeah, they lost, which was funny because there was some comment I saw on, like, Cougar Board or whatever. It was like, if Zach Wilson can get, like, you know, a two- or three-touchdown lead in the third quarter, then, you know, they can hold on against Utah. And I was like, that exact same thing happened right. last year. Yeah. Yeah, so it was it was a thirty-five to nothing first quarter, and then BYU went on to score seven, seven, and fourteen to make it thirty-five to twenty-eight final. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you yeah yeah you bring up that BYU Utah game from last year. That was one that we were actually, or I I was actually at the uh, Boise State game against Utah State that day, and uh, was really disappointed not to watch that game because I mean that's got to be one of the most entertaining meetups in that in that rivalry's history, and yeah. and it's kind of funny because. BYU, like you're saying, on the Cougar message boards and stuff like that, have so much confidence about their team looking forward. But, I don't know, Utah State might be able to inflict a similar 
wound here coming up in this next season. Yeah, that's the weird thing. I, I see these people, and granted, I don't think all BYU fans are like that, but it feels like almost an inordinate or just way too confident. And I'm sitting here like almost dogging on my own team, like, yeah. let's just pull the reins back. And there's <laughs> a lot of Aggie fans that are a little overly confident, too, as much as I don't like to. Yeah. Granted, I think Aggie fans are wonderful because we don't we haven't had much sure. so we're pretty humble about it <laughs> yeah um be happy with what you have <laughs> yeah we're happy with what we have so we're we're pretty good about being uh at least nice fans but yeah it's just i'm i'm cautiously optimistic that's what it was last year i was cautiously optimistic and then these BYU fans are like yeah we're gonna go like eight and four against this schedule i'm thinking they're gonna go like two and ten yeah against their schedule that's what i'm thinking about them um and we've already heard my prediction about Utah State crushing BYU's souls as yeah. far as bowl eligibility. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll happen that way. We'll see. Yeah, I'm hoping it does. That would that would feel nice. Just you know, get Utah State to win. I think this would be three in a row or four in a row. Mm, yeah. Can't remember. I think it's three because they've won. Oh no, actually, yeah, three because they've won three out of the last five currently. Yeah. So some good stuff. I'm, <laughs> Again, there's there's so much wait and see about this football team. Right. It's it's hard because I look at the basketball team. I'm getting really hyped about them because there's a lot less wait and see. Yeah, we know who that team is. We just don't know who the football team is. And I want to really be excited about football. I just don't know yet. Yeah, that's kind of what it was last year. With like, I was worried about the offensive line. Now I'm like, we'll see. Last year I was legitimately worried, which. I proved to be. <laughs> I got proved to be desperately wrong yeah. on that. Just absolutely crushed on that account, which I was very glad to be wrong. Right. Um. So. Yeah, I, I and I think at this point in the year where you know we're leading up to camps now, camps start tomorrow, and it's just all about speculation, and we'll see how it goes. But I mean, it's not too much longer between you know now and when you actually start seeing the team line up on yeah. the field. All right, I think I think that's probably all we have for right now. All right. Tune in next week. Thanks. <laughs> Bye.